to invite you to turn in your uh, sanctuary Bible to page 1071 or in your own personal Bible to John chapter 17. We're going to be looking at verses 20 through 26. John 17, 20 through 26. And uh, just a few words of introduction, as Victoria always does, she introduces it well for us, is this is part of John's gospel, which is called the High Priestly Prayer. This is uh, the night of the Last Supper. Jesus washes the disciples' feet. They share the meal. He institutes the Lord's Supper. And then he spends an extended amount of time praying for all sorts of things, including his disciples and, and himself and for the world and for, uh, well, quite a few things. Um, and it is right at the end of this prayer, after verse 26, then chapter 18 begins, and it's right then that Jesus is arrested. So the context of this is that Jesus is praying this prayer in full knowledge that he's been betrayed, in full knowledge that when he finishes this prayer and goes out the door, uh, he's not far at all from the beginning of his passion. And so there's, there's violence coming his way, there's hatred coming his way, there's opposition to his work coming his way, and his own death is coming his way. And this is what he's been preparing for all his life. This is what he's been marching towards Jerusalem for, for months. And so it is all coming together in this moment. One thing to notice about this priest, high priestly prayer is it's like deep, heartfelt, emotional prayer. Jesus, there's a lot of just heartfelt, emotional words in it. Um, and what I want to focus on today is that he prays also for the world. And we're going to describe a little bit more what is meant by the world, particularly in John's gospel and the writings of John. It's different than what we think of as what the world is normally. And so we're going to kind of develop that a little bit later. It's a big word, and we're going to kind of look at one aspect of it when John uses it. But what I want to invite you to do now is just to listen to this prayer for the world. It's just seven verses. And notice in... Um, John's writing, there are themes that recur uh, in, every, in every one of his writings, and a lot of them around the concept of seeing something, and then of knowing something, and then of believing something, so that your senses kind of influence your knowledge, and your knowledge influences your faith. And if you were to count the times that the words see, know, and believe occur in John's Gospels and in John's letters, you'd have a really big number. I didn't count it up, but it's a big number. So listen for those words and then just listen to this prayer. So let's go to our reading. John chapter 17, verse 20. Jesus prays, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. He's praying for his disciples. That all of them may be one, Father. Just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. 
I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this word, and we ask that you would add your blessing to it. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to say a little bit about prayer because we, we, it's, it's actually hard to preach about prayer because all you could say is, well, you should pray, and this is true, you know. And then you could stop, and that's a very short sermon, which is great, and then you can go have more coffee. Um, and there's techniques to prayer, and I don't think that it makes sense to talk about that because I think it's different for every person, right? I mean, we, we all have different personalities. And so I, a certain prayer pattern that works for me, I'm not sure that would work for you. It might, you know. But what I really wanted to do today is talk about the direction of prayer. I think we all know we need to pray for the world, right? And we need to pray for those who, as Jesus says, do not yet know the Father, we definitely want to do that, and that is the focus today. But I want to talk about it not in terms of how often you do it or in what words to use, but what direction those prayers should take. Specific things that we can pray for and then specific ways that I think we're called to live if we are indeed to pray for the world that they may come to know the Father. And so what I want to start by saying is that Jesus in this prayer is showing what he means when he says you should pray for your enemies. You should love your enemies and pray for them. Because he's actually praying for his enemy, the world. And that's where we have to, to, we have to develop what is meant by the world when Jesus talks about it in the Gospel of John. The world is that part of creation which is opposed to God and actively hostile to God's intentions and plans. And so, you know, we have this word world, and I kind of just think of like a globe, like you're about to see a movie that was made by Universal, you know, and you got this spinning globe, and sometimes the airplane is flying around it. So that's the world, right? That's the globe. But John really narrows that down. He's not talking about all of creation. He's not talking about the oceans, the, you know, the planet, the sea, the, the mountains, and, and things like that. He's not talking about the plant life. He's talking about this aspect of creation, which is a huge aspect of it, that's governed by sin and sin's entry into all of creation, that is at odds with God in a sinister way, in a malevolent way. It's actively opposed to what God wants to happen. It's trying to thwart and foil what God wants to do. It's an enemy. It's a rival, right? It's an opponent, so there's this real oppositional sense when John uses the word world, especially in contexts like this, he's really talking about a dangerous adversary who's trying to stop Jesus and trying to stop God. So kind of get the sense that this is a lot more focused here when he's talking about the world this way. And yet Jesus is praying for the world. Jesus is saying, I want that aspect of creation that wants to see me fail. I want that aspect of creation to know the Father. That's his prayer in this prayer, in the high priestly prayer. So he's praying for his enemies. Now I want to say one thing about this, which is not to, to read into this too much that 
John thinks that the physical world is bad. He doesn't think that. He just thinks this aspect that's, that's run by sin is bad. God looks at the world and he says, this is good, right? And so you have redwood trees and snow leopards, the landscape, the sunset, the ocean waves. These are all good things. These are not opposed to what Jesus is doing. Take a walk outside and smell a flower. This is good, right? That part is not trying to destroy what Jesus is doing. It's sin in the world manifesting itself in the world, acting through broken humanity. That's opposed to what God is doing. And John's shorthand for all of that is the world. So that's where the confusion comes in. And have I cleared it up? Just nod yes, because that'll make me feel good. You, know, you don't have to nod yes, you don't have to. But so that's what he's talking about here. Jesus is actually praying for his enemies. And the focus here. In Jesus' prayer, and I find this fascinating because it's a, it's a John concept. It's a concept that's often in John's writings. But I think it's a powerful one. Is not that the world would be judged or destroyed or stopped or punished, right? I mean, those would be normal prayers for something that's coming against you like that. The prayer is that the world, as we've defined it, would come to know the Father. So the prayer is that the knowledge of the world would change from not knowing God to knowing God. This is huge. This is Jesus. He's not there to take revenge. He's not there to win points. He's not, he wants to change the world by changing what the world knows. And he wants the world to know the Father. And by knowing the Father, the world will change. And I think that's true. I mean, objectively, as Christians, we'd have to say, that's got to be true. So I want to let this maybe sink in. And I'm going to read it twice. I, I wrote it down here, so I don't have to read it, and then you have to listen to it. So uh, the prayer is that the world, as John defines it, would come to know God. He prays for his enemy, the world, not that it would be destroyed, but that it would be given knowledge. That's his prayer. Not that it would be destroyed, but that it would be given knowledge. Now, we must ask then, how can the world know something about God? How do we know things about God? And actually, the concept of knowing is kind of a big concept. We won't describe all of it here, but we have to think about what we think we know. Uh, the world thinks it knows something about God. We think we know something about other things. We think we know things about other people. Um, and we kind of define ourselves by what we know. So I want to give you an example. There was once a person whom I have long forgiven and, and reconciled with, so praise God, but that was a person that I had kind of a low opinion of, okay? Um, if you think it's you, no, 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 it's not. It's none of, nobody here in this room. It really isn't. Uh, no. But this was a person that I had a low opinion of, and I thought I was pretty right about that. And somebody else, unsolicited and not even knowing that about this relationship that I had with this other person that wasn't great, proceeded to tell me about how that person had really done something good and nice. And, you know? and that put me in a bind. It really did. Because I was like, I don't want to hear that, because I've already decided that they're not that great. Don't, don't go confusing me with your facts, please. I don't, I don't want that. 
Um, because that, and it was, you know, it challenged my view of that person. And here's the thing that we don't always pay attention to, is it challenged my own identity. To the extent that I had based my own identity on my negative view of somebody else and thus puffed myself up, okay? And so if that's whittled away at, then I'm chipping away at my own, my own self, however illegitimately I built it, okay? And that's the good kind of renovation that God loves to do for us if we ever get the opportunity, and I hope we're open to it. And so I had a choice right then in that moment, which was to give up a little bit of myself, which was based on anger and, and hatred and, and not knowing everything, or... To, to say, well, I don't really, I reject that fact. You must be wrong. Or I'm going to ignore it somehow. I'm going to find some way to ignore it. Well, that can't be true. Or, well, they got lucky once. Or, you know, it was an outside, it was like a fluke. Or it was an outlier in the data set. Or whatever you want to say. And um, these things don't happen instantly. But praise God, I was able to see, and this is true of everybody, that that person that I had a low view of, they were just a more complicated person than I realized. And isn't that true of everybody you know? That once you get to know them, they're actually a little bit more complicated than your thought. And so if you've simplified them by saying they're just this and they're pretty bad, and these inconvenient facts come along and complexify them, well, that's a good thing. And so I had to say, you know what? They're more com complex than I am. Maybe I'm more complex than they think I am. Um, and so the choice was, do I let that come in and change my knowledge of that person? Do I let that come in and change what I think of them? And in this case, I have, but I can probably point to many, many cases where I haven't been. I've been impervious to the renovation of my knowledge. Then that's my brokenness on display. That's me being limited. So we do this um, with information, too. Right, All sorts of information. I'm talking about knowing again because I want to talk about how the world knows God. And I'm going to give you another example. All right, um, I may have a view on something. This is not about people, but on a topic. Right, It could be a political topic. It could be a social topic. It could be something that I really care about. Um, and I can easily find, say, a view on the Internet that would agree with me. And I go, oh, well, that's good because... You know, that just reinforces it. I'm more, so then I'm, I'm, less, I'm less susceptible to other information if I've already reinforced myself with voices that already agree with me. And this is, I think, a real challenge for Christians, but also all people in a civil society like America and other countries, is when we limit our information intake to those corners that just keep reinforcing what we already believe, we're never going to have any real conversations with anybody, and we're going to kind of devolve as a civil society and become an incivil society. Now, that's not the gospel. That's not the message today. I think that's just a warning, is the openness of our minds is going to lead a long way to having a better civil society. So let me maybe give an example, and I brought, I brought sort of a... This is... It's heavy. It's called the timetables of history, the new third revised edition. You can borrow it when I'm done you know, today. It's, it's really quite good. It's all the historical facts of history, politics, literature, theater, religion, visual arts, music, science, technology, and daily life, broken down by year, 
from way back when, and it talks about all the different civilizations that have contributed, and it's, it's really laid out quite in a great way. And so I said if, to myself, what if I wanted to find something out and I needed to look somewhere that's not the internet, right? Uh, well, here's a book. It's a, it's a book of history. It's arranged as a timeline, as I said. And then I have to ask myself, uh, if I really want to know something, is this book reliable, right? And you may have your own opinion. You haven't seen this book, and you're like, I don't know what that book is. I'm not so sure. Let me tell you a little bit about this book and how it was made. Maybe that will help you, right? So it was published by Simon and Schuster. They haven't been around forever. They've only been around for 95 years. So, you know, that's okay. That's a, that's a, good, it's a good first run. They're still around. I think, and I can't tell you this, but if I were to look more closely at the editor's notes, I think we'd get a little closer to that, that almost every fact and date in this book was probably reviewed by a team of editors who asked the authors for at least one, but probably more, other published sources that would back up the information that's in here. Does that make sense? Like, books have editors, and those editors have research teams, and they say, are you saying, or is there a fact in this book? We need to check that fact. We need to fact check that. And then we have to sign off it before we can print it. So, for example, there was a battle outside Vienna on September 12, 1683. Did you know that? You didn't know that? The Ottoman Empire was expanding westward, and if they had conquered Vienna, they might have taken over a much bigger chunk of Europe. It was actually quite an important event in the life of the world. They were stopped, right? So, but what support is there for that date, September 12, 1683? Well, when there's a battle, military officers write written reports of what happened. The city of Vienna had a newspaper at least. There was probably something in the newspaper about it that day, right? Historians write things down, keep track of things. Uh, history books published closer to the date and so on. And so by the time we get to this book, somebody could say, well, that date seems pretty right because we have these five sources that tell us that the battle occurred on that day. And so then the, the editor said, okay, great, now 2,000 more facts to go, and then we'll be done, you know, and not really. And so a book like this, this takes years to, from the moment somebody decides to write this book to the moment it gets published and shows up in a bookstore. We're talking two or three years of work that go into it and a team of scores of people at various times making sure it's correct. So is it perfect? No, there's some errors are certainly in this book. My son George is great because he looks at books about dinosaurs and he's like, that's wrong. That's, that's, the, paleo, that's the Paleolithic, I don't know what he says. He says and, and, uh, and then we look somewhere else and he's like, you're right, George. You know, so George could have a job as a fact checker probably because he's just like, um, so books have errors in them, yes. But I don't think there's any errors in this book that would take away from the overall gist that this is a book of history, it has a timeline of events. And things. So now maybe the question I would ask is, uh, which do I trust more? This book or a blog on the internet written by somebody I don't know? Right? I mean, where do we, where do we value? And, and, but, you know, don't take my word for it. You should look at this book. You should look at other books. Um, but somebody wrote a blog on the internet. What's their expertise? Has someone else checked their work? Do they have an editor? I don't know. They could. They could or they might not, we don't know. That there's, some, there's some challenges there. What am I saying with all this? Even though I have books like this in my office, I might 
believe something on the internet, if it made me feel better about myself, or if it reinforced something that I already believed, if it told me that that person I didn't like had done something wrong, I'd go, well, that's probably right. You know, the book, oh, that's a dusty old book. It doesn't have a search function, you know, except for the index. Um, so actually it does have a search function, but it's more work, right? Um, so it's powerful. Someone says something we want to hear, something that agrees with a view that we already have, a view that partly defines who we are as a person, and so we're far more likely to believe that source in an uncritical way than, a, than something that's going to challenge us. And so you may see where I'm getting here is that I think if we want to challenge what the world thinks about God, we have to be open to challenge ourselves. We have to be open to be challenged about what we believe. Not about necessarily about God, but yes, also about God. We think the gospel can stand up to all inquiry. We really do. But we need to be open-minded people who can listen well and process well and, and have good conversations. Do you remember when the Nick Evangelists came? The Nick Evangelists, for those of you who don't know, they rescue a man named Jed from Australia. He rescues young boys from the streets of Nicaragua he rescues them from all that uh, life on the streets entails. He teaches them how to break dance, and he brings them around, <laughs> and they do performances all around. And somebody saw him in downtown Mountain View and just was so enamored by what was going on that they came to church the next day. And I talked to them, and I said, I really wish, I'm glad you came today. Why don't you come back next Sunday? Because you got to say that. If you don't say that, you know. Come back next Sunday. Oh, no. I would never come back here. I was only here for the Nick Evangelist. Oh, I said, really? Tell me more. Well, I don't believe in... I, the God that you believe in, I don't believe in. It's, that God is, is too uh, arrogant and sexist and violent. And that God cares more about running politics and having power in the world. And I said, oh, tell me more. I want to hear this, okay? Tell me more. And she... She, I, I, okay, I gave a, I was supposed to kept that gender free. It was a person, uh, it, okay, it was a woman. So it doesn't matter. And, and she said, some of her experiences of church, Christians, what she sees in the world, how Christians act and talk and behave. And it's heartbreaking that that's her view of who God is, right? And at the, at the end, I, I said, well, I want to hear more of that. I mean, I, I think what you're, I, I've seen some of the things that you have seen, too, and I'm concerned about them. Um, but I don't believe those things, I don't believe those same things about God that you do. And I don't think Jed does. Because if Jed believed those things about God, would he be, would he be rescuing these children from that life? I don't think he would, you know. And so I, I tried to plant a seed, I tried to stay open. Um, but here's somebody who has some knowledge about God, which we think is wrong. But there's enough sort of difficult Christians out there that are making life hard for the rest of us, I think, that that person is going to be very hard to challenge their knowledge about God, right? Um, and so I think maybe what I would say to that person if I'd had more time, is, is, is it possible that the story is a little more complex than you see? That not all Christians are the same. They don't all believe the same thing. They don't all do the same things, right? Um, 
There's Christians like us. We believe in peace. We believe in treating people with respect. We think it's wrong to harass people. We think the church shouldn't be telling people how to vote. And all that because we know God in a way that's different than maybe you, you think that we do, right? And then you could say, if only there was a book, right? If only there was a book. Oh, look at here, I got another one in here. It's just handily in this spot. That was passed on faithfully by oral tradition and then it was written down and you could say, it was lovingly maintained and well edited, really, it was. And it's full of great information and wonderful stories. Is it perfect? Yes, it is. I mean, in the sense that it perfectly tells the story of God's love for the world. Does it have some errors in it? Actually, it does. We went over this once. The manuscripts, even in themselves, show some inconsistencies with each other. We do our best to document those errors and pick the most reliable manuscripts, okay? So we're upfront about all that. And none of those errors really change anything fundamental about the story, right? And it's this, God came into the world in the flesh to save a lost humanity. He overcomes the world's hatred of him with self-sacrificing love, and he calls each person in the world to himself so he can hold them in his warm embrace. So we have a book too. Now how reliable is it? We have to live it. We have to act like we know it. We have to know it, not just act like we know it, right? I think the challenge, and this is what Jesus really was up against. After he finished this prayer, he was going to go out the door, just a few steps, not many, and be arrested and be beaten and be put on trial and all the rest and go to the cross. And in his last words before that, he prays that this world would be challenged in its knowledge about who God really is. And so if we pray, if we to, are to pray for the world as a church, and I think we are, we are to pray for the world that it would know God, that it would challenge the world's knowledge of who God is. And that means we have to live differently. In a way, we have to pray with our lives. We have to be people who don't act like the God that that woman thinks she knows. We have to act like people who love the God that we know. And that's important. The God who loves, the God who forgives, the God who sacrifices for others, the God who is humble, right? The God who listens. The story's more complicated than it seems. We have to tell people not all believers are like, and we should pray. And this is the prayer. The fact of who you are to them will begin to challenge what they think they know about God. You have to spend time with people. You have to let how God works in you show out from you. And that, that just takes time. That takes relationship. It takes engagement with other people. And that's how they're going to get to know the true God. I would call the fact-checked God, the actual God, the one we got right, the edited, pro properly edited God. Edited God. Um, and I also think our life has to model that we are open to new views. We probably have to spend more time listening to people who don't know God than we have to talking with them. We have to start by listening to them and be open to their ideas, open to their views, and, and enter into that with them. 
before they're ever really going to listen to us and have their view of God be challenged. So, and really the question is, how can we ask people to be open to challenge if we're not open to challenge in our knowledge? So yes, we pray. We pray for them to know. We pray for them to see. And then we pray for them to believe and know the true God themselves. So that, and that's because we know the true God ourselves. And you have to be an authentic person. I said some of this. Um, so let me, in that spirit of being open and even able to admit your mistakes, uh, some or all of what I've just said in the 20, last 20 minutes could be wrong. I, sorry if I wasted your time. Decide for yourself. Do your own work. Do your own research. Uh, if I'm wrong, tell me. I, I would want to hear it. But decide for yourself. But now I think, I think we should pray for the world to know God, to have its knowledge challenged. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for those moments when you can challenge us in what we know and help us to cherish them. Lord, help us to lovingly but persistently challenge what this world knows about you, whatever way it takes, whatever form it takes, whatever conversation or relationship comes up. Help us to show people the Father. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We'd like to invite the ushers to come forward to receive our offering. If you have a prayer card, please put it in the plate as it comes by.